Welcome to chapel on this Friday afternoon, Friday morning. I want to extend a special welcome to um, uh, prospective students who are here on campus this fall as you explore possibilities of your future existence here at Goshen College, and we hope to see you next, next year. Oh Lord, why do you cast me off? Why do you hide your face from me? Wretched and close to death from the time of my youth and up. I suffer your terrors. I am desperate. Your wrath has come over me. Your dreaded assaults destroy me. Surround me like a flood all day long. And they come in at me from all sides. You have caused neighbor and friend to shun me. My companions are in darkness. These are the final words of the psalmist of Psalm 88. Not the, and they lived happily ever after kinds of words that we might expect. Not the niceties of praising God and addressing God in an unblameless way that we might expect. For this particular psalmist of Psalm 88, this whole psalm begins in the pit and ends in the pit, so to speak. Psalm 88 is an example of biblical lament, though an extreme form of lament. And when you look at the book of Psalms, almost half of the Psalms can be considered that of lament. Lament Psalms are not mere complaints to an uninvolved God. No, they are deep prayers to a God who the psalmist expects that God will act in some way or in some venue. These are prayers of deep intimacy between God and God's people. An intimacy that invites authentic words, raw expression from the heart. These are prayers that grant permission to grieve and protest... They are prayers that prepare for the ways of new understandings of God. Prayers that promote solidarity with those who suffer. I believe these are some of the richest and deepest expressions of prayer that can be found in our Bibles. They often end with joy and resounding praise, unlike the one that I recited. But only because they have known deep despair and pain and trauma. These are prayers that exude a deep trust in God. But only because they have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. These were the prayers of the stuff of life. And that's why I think there is such a huge category of these prayers within Psalms. 
These were the prayers that invited us to engage God with some of our own harshest realities of life rather than escape it. As I stated, Psalm 88 is an example of extreme lament and one that does not end in praise. And for that, I'm grateful that that biblical prayerful witness is found within our canon. Another book of the Bible that is also an example of extreme lament is that of Lamentations. Chapter after chapter after chapter, five chapters worth of the author railing against God and blaming God and crying out to God. In this book, it is a deep book of emotions stemming from pain and a faith-shattering experience of relationship, relationship between God and God's people, particularly the Jewish community in that historical time. But an interesting note about this book is that nowhere in this book does God speak. Nowhere. God does not rebuke the author for expressing themselves in such a way. God also does not say, go take your pity party somewhere else. God also does not just simply and tritefully say, trust in me and all will be well. In this particular book, there are no words attributed to the voice of God. Lamentations is indeed a book of intense pain, trauma, and extreme suffering. Yet the poetry, the power of its poetry, can embrace the sufferings of any whose bodies and spirits are worn down and assaulted. Another feature of this book is that it contains multiple voices crying out to God. Voices and testimonies. No one speaker dominates this book. Now, there are two voices that I wish to highlight this morning found in the first two chapters. The first voice is that of the survivor. An intense trauma just happened to this city of Jerusalem, but it's personified by a person. And this survivor cries out to God, rails against God. The second voice that I wish to highlight is that of the compassionate advocate. Now, this person comes on the scene in chapter 1 and at first is unmoved. Just simply comes on the scene, looks around, sees the destruction and goes, oh yeah, this is bad. But by the time we get into chapter 2 and partway through it, this neutral observer starts to really see the pain, starts to listen to that of the survivor, starts to really see what is going on, and also starts to cry out to God and begs for God to look at the pain and destruction that has just happened, this horrific trauma. And so this uninvolved neutral observer becomes a compassionate advocate. Lamentations is a book of truth-telling. Biblical lament gives us permission to say it how it is, even if the language is quite, quite raw and explicit. Lamentations invites compassionate companionship. We too are invited to open our eyes, look around to the pain, to the trauma, to the brokenness, to the hurt around us. And we too are called to cry out on behalf of other people. Lamentations, if you read all through five chapters, enables voices to speak up. 
But as I mentioned before, there is one particular voice that is missing in this particular book. And that voice is the voice of God. For some reason, God does not speak, nor heal, nor respond, nor anything. The only reason we know that God exists is because the authors are crying out to God. For some reason, God offers no words in this great time of duress and suffering. But then again, if God were to speak, what would God say? I invite you to turn in your hymnals to number 148. By the waters of Babylon. We'll sing through this one time together and then we'll split like maybe here so that it's a little bit more even. Um, and we'll sing it around two times. This side can follow me and that side will follow Tamara. As campus pastors, Tamara and I know that collectively among us all, there is much heaviness, burdens, and brokenness that we all carry in different forms and in different ways. Now, if we believe that you all and we all reflect the many sad statistics that we read about and know about, we know that a significant number of you have experienced some form of physical or sexual abuse as children as young adults, as adults. 
We know that many of you may have experienced some form of brokenness from your homes before you ever came to college here. We know that many of you have considered suicide. Many of you might be suffering from various forms of mental anguish and illness, depression. Many of you know the horrors that live out through the sufferings and cries of eating disorders, cutting, substance abuse, or other forms of self-mutilization. You carry a lot of stress in your lives, and at this time in your semester, you may be feeling overwhelmed by the schoolwork that you have, the exams, the tests, the quizzes, the activities, the projects, the responsibilities and expectations of the extracurricular activities that you may be involved in. You might be missing home, confused by all the questions that might be circulating in your head and not sure what to do about it. You may be experiencing emotional information overload. And you may be all too familiar with anxiety. As campus pastors, we know that in this space this morning, there may be much heaviness, brokenness, grief among us. Some of us may be crying out in words similar to Psalm 88. Some of us may be living out the raw pain and grief, like that of a survivor in Lamentations, while others carry the weight of the compassionate advocate walking with others. This morning in our chapel service, we will be offering a time of anointing. In the Christian faith tradition, the ritual of anointing has been used in a variety of ways. In times of joy, such as at weddings, in times of consecration or recognizing of holy moments, ordination of ministry or other times like that. And it's also used in times of illness, grief, sickness. This morning in our chapel service, we will be offering an, a time of anointing. But it will be a recognition of our desire for healing and wholeness. For whatever burden or heaviness that we might be carrying. Though anointing is not a magic formula that will guarantee that your pain or grief will dissipate and dissolve, it is a step in the direction that could lead toward healing and wholeness as God and God's people lift you up and carry you this morning through song and through prayer. The process for anointing this morning is simple. You're invited to participate in one of two ways. Tamara and I will be, both be down front, and you're invited to come forward and be anointed by either one of us. And as we anoint you, we will say the following words. In the name of our Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, may you experience wholeness and healing. The second invitation is for you to serve as compassionate advocates. While others are coming forward, Jess Buller will be leading the rest of us in singing, Songs that confess our journeys, songs that offer hope and joy and faith. As we move into a time of anointing, please join me in prayer. Loving God, this morning we pray that you might hold us in your healing presence. Your compassion 
and your love is strong enough to bear even our deepest hurts. Come to us now. Touch us with your love. Listen to our prayers. Grant us the healing and hope that we long for. Grant us strength and courage to face our greatest fears. Grant us peace even in the midst of turmoil. And as we receive your anointing and share together in song and prayer, bless us with a renewed energy and hope for tomorrow. In the name of Jesus, your great healer, we pray. Amen. Number 377 in your blue hymnal, Healer of Our Every Ill.
Island, number 336. as our final song.
Now may the God of all compassion fill us with joy and peace, that we may abound in hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.